He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. O hine mihi ko tomatau te puna whare. Ā e taitai āna hoki. Kā puta te tahunga ki waho. Ka karakia, ka karakia, ka mahea ke te aho te iorai mā taunga mōrehu. These words spoken by Te Autiti Wikirifi. Henemihi is our ancestral meeting house. When tragedy struck and the ash fell outside, we prayed. When the ash cleared, we, the Morehu, survived. On the 10th of June 1886, the Tarawera eruption killed over 100 people. It displaced the people of Te Wairua and destroyed the famous pink and white terraces. During the eruption, a few houses gave shelter, one of which included Henemihi Tafito, a house commissioned by Apuro Te Farikanifa. Around 53 people were saved that night as ash, smoke and molten rock hailed down. Inside was Tene Waitere, a carver, who worked on the house with Wero Tarui, both men of Ngāti Tarawhai. Six years after the Tarawera eruption, Te Wairua and Henemihi had all but been abandoned. The then Governor-General, Earl of Onslow, William Hillier, acquired Henemihi for £50, a deal struck with Mika Aporo. In 1892, Henemihi was dismantled. A consignment of 23 carvings was shipped to Clandon Park, Guildford, England, where she has been for almost 130 years. This series explores Henemihi Te Tafito, its past, present and future. The underlying question of whether the carvings will come home, if so, when. The interviews and stories in this series weave together a common thread. The story of Henemihi is about connection. And it was a real spiritual time where Hinamahi opened her arms to us and welcomed us to England. It was the last day that we were in Britain and a really special time because from there we really felt connected to our dead. She was calling the building and then halfway across the lawn she stopped and she called again. And as we grew near near it, I could tell that quite a lot of the people were crying. We had in the room effectively 130 years worth of photography of Hinamihi and that was very powerful. And I remember that weekend driving a typically gloomy, overcast, wet um, weekend and meeting Jim Schuster and Dean Sully and that was my first engagement with, with Hinamihi. Our ancestor Hinamihi, for whom the carvings now um, reside in England, she descends from Anati Rangiti main ancestor. She married a tuharangi man called Te Karere. Her, her people were living first at Motutaua on Rotukaki. Then they shift around to Tokiniho, other paths like Karikaria, which is right at uh, Lake Tarawera. E aku whakataitei ki te whenua, e aku ihorei, tēnei te mihi kia koutou katoa. This is Te Ahika, ko Justin Murray, ahau. Taku aroha e Kohimi Shusta Toku Ingo, no Kone no Ngai Tuhaurangi, Ngati Wahia, Ngati Hinamihi Hoki, 
te tahi atu taha tōku no Ngāti Tarawhai. Ko te kōrero o tēnei whare, he kōrero mō Ngāti Tūhau, Ngāti Hinemihi, mō Ngāti Tarawhai, mō Tūhaurangi hoki. Jim Schuster's mother was renowned weaver Emily Schuster. She was the niece of Rangitiaria Denon, known as Guide Rangi. Guide Rangi was the granddaughter of Tene Waitere. There are four whare named Hinemihi. The series focuses on the first whare, now in England. But you may hear about the others in the series. For context, Jim explains. Ko te, te Hinemihi tuatahi, kei ngarangi. Uh, ko te mea tuarua, kei taumaru nui, kei te taha o te awa o uh, Taringa Motu. Uh, there's a hinamihi down there, and then there's this hinamihi, oh, te tuatoru, and then there's a fourth hinamihi down at Ngāpuna. Yes, that, I've been to that one. Yeah. And so why why four whare, just to... Uh, I don't know, that's just how the mana of hinamihi herself, I think there's, I mean... You really get uh, a tearoa whare with, with the name of a woman on them. Mm. Most of them are after males, uh, and, and the farekai bears the name of the woman. But here, this is... Hinamihi's got four whareinuis named after her. Same, well, as far as we know, the same Hinamihi named after that tupuna. Now this whare that we are sitting in, also named Henemihi, Henemihi Te Tuatoru, is located on the corner of Old Topol Road. Now it's a busy part of town, cars heading towards the main Topol Highway. The rumble of logging trucks can be heard. About 100 metres further down is the tourist spot, Te Puya, well known for its ngāwha, hot springs and bubbling geysers. Now, there are photos displayed on the walls. It's a bit of a time capsule. There's magazines and pictures that allude to the rich history of guiding in Te Arua. I can see, of course, Guide Rangi Makariti Papakura, yeah. who is famously... Um, well, Makariti was Rangi Tiria's mother-in-law. Uh, Rangi eventually married this man here. He was uh, Denon. He was William, William Denon. And he was the son of Makariti. And this is how uh, Kroa Tene Waitere, who carved that Hinamihi, this Hinamihi, and the Hinamihi down at Ngāpuna. So that, that's our strong connection, our tie to Hinamihi, the Whareas, through our Kroa. That's him up there on the wall. This was one of the last works he carved. But that monument outside, he, he died in... He was 77 when he died in 1931. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a younger picture of him up the top. That's his wife, Ruihi, and his daughter, Tuhipo. Tene was young when he assisted Wero Taroi in carving Henemihi Te Autawhito. How old would he have been then in his He was about 27, 20s? 20. He was born in 19, 1854. 1854. Henemihi was opened in 1881. So he, he worked alongside Wero. Wero was one of the tohunga whakairo of Ngāti Tarawhai at the time. But he was in his old age. And 
Tene was protégé. like his, his, yeah, his student. Student, yeah. Wero died while they were carving Hinami. So Tene had to finish it off. So he finished it and then it was opened 1881. Five years later it was dumped on by the eruption. Yes. It, it had only been up for five years when the, when the eruption happened, so it got buried. But the thing about that enemy, there's a picture of it over there on the... Oh, up there. Yep, yep. <clears throat> it's, um, I guess it's special to us that whare because it saved saved a lot of people. If it wasn't for that house, I wouldn't be here. Well, none of those people up there would have been here. Yeah, we owe our lives to that whare. On the night of the Tarawera eruption, June the 10th, 1886, Tene also sought refuge inside Henemihi. And he was in there on the night. He was there, staying there. They were visiting uh, his his wife's sister was there. I had, was come, had come to visit them and they were they sheltered in Henemihi on the night of the eruption. The next day they moved down and they were given land down at Ngapuna, so they went there where that Henemihi down there stands. Now, there is a rich whakapapa to Henemihi. We'll hear more about that soon. The whare opened at Te Wairua in early 1881. Just five years later, in 1886, the Tarawera eruption occurred. The then Earl of Onslow, William Hillier, had come to the end of his tenure as Governor-General, and he wanted a memento. Like all those British colonials did, and he paid £50, 50 pounds for it. Yeah. And those carvings were all taken off the building, and uh, Mika Aporo, who was took all the carvings then on a cart up to. It went away really as a consignment of 23 carvings. It didn't take the whole house, the rest of it just fell down up there. But the carvings, 23 carvings that went, yeah, Onslow shipped them over there and they were at, in, erected in his park in his Clandon Park where his home was. The whare, they, they built a structure for it. They weren't to know, they didn't know how to, where they went, so some of them were, were round the wrong way. Uh, I think, like, for instance, that Po Tahuhu there. Yes. In, on, in this whare, this enemy, it faces inwards. On their one, they had it facing outwards, out that way. But that's... They didn't know, you see. They weren't, weren't to know how it was. And it, it had an open door, wall there. There was no wall, so that was holding the... They used it as a boat shed. And it also survived cold winters and was even used as a dollhouse. But there's a nice story. In 1917, during World War I, the Māori Pioneer Battalion, who stayed at Clandon House when it was used as a military hospital, Notice that things weren't quite right in the whare. They've they see the carvings and they corrected, corrected it. it. Yeah. It, 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 it had, and then it was moved later at another time. Alan Gallup wrote the book The House with the Golden Eyes, the name taken by the fact that the carvings had gold sovereign coins as the eyes instead of power shell. He's, he's a Pākehā, he's an Englishman. He came out here and uh, he first met Hinami with, with my mum when she went across in about 1986. They were a haka group and she was demonstrating weaving. They had carvers in the group. And he was selected by a New Zealand Government Tourist Bureau who had an office in London. Mm. And 
Alan Gallup was given the job of taking these people around, around London, around, around England, to the various places they had to go visit. And then my mum asked him, oh, we've got a whare over here. We want to go and see it. And he took them down to... Well, he didn't even know it existed, but he found out all about it. And so that book of his, Hinamihi, The House with the Golden Eyes, was all about his experiences of his experience of meeting Hinamihi the first time, because he was taking the group across the lawn of Clandon yeah, House. Yeah, I can imagine it. To to the Swari, and he wondered why they were all crying, wailing, you know, going across to the Whare, all karangatsukitevare. Alan Gallup joins us from his home via Zoom in Ashford, England. Thank you so much, Alan Gallup. Could we start off maybe if you'd like to uh, tell us a bit about yourself? Well, I'm now 73, much to my surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I was born uh, to the west of London in a town called Staines, which is on the River Thames. And we left there when I was 11 to move to the town next to it, where I still live. It's called Ashford. Ashford, and we're we're in the county of of uh, Surrey, uh, which is quite a pretty county. Some nice rivers run through it, and stately homes, etc., including Clandon Park, of course. When he left school, he trained as a journalist and worked at a news agency based at Heathrow Airport. You know, and I stayed there twelve years uh, because I thought now was a good time to go into public relations. Uh, so I did that. In 1983, I started my own PR company and we represented uh, airlines and tourism offices, including Tourism New Zealand or the New Zealand Tourism Board, as it was called in those days. And I loved the work, absolutely loved it. I really did, you know, and uh, we, we ran that company for 20 years because I wanted to write books. And to do that, you need to find time for yourself to write them. Alan came to know about Hinemihi in the mid-1980s. A kapahaka concert group from the Māori Arts and Crafts Institute travelled to England. As Jim Schuster mentioned, Alan was charged in showing the group around and basically looking after them. Emily Schuster was also there. She said, "Um, Alan, um, have you ever heard of a place called Clandon Park? And I'd vaguely heard of it, but I'd never been there. She said, well, in the grounds is a Maori meeting house. I said, really? What's a Maori meeting house? You know, <laughs> shows you how ignorant I was in those days, you know. She said, yes, it's there. And I would like you to call an organisation called the National Trust that runs the place and ask if we can go and visit the house. I phoned them up and I said, uh, oh, hello, I'm calling on behalf of the New Zealand Tourism Board. Have you got a property called Clandon Park? And the the lady on the other end of the phone said, oh, yes. I said, and if by chance at Clandon Park there's a a Maori meeting house? She said, oh, hang on a minute, I'll just ask. And she came back on. She said, oh, yes, we've got one of those here. Yes, definitely. I said, well, I'd I'd like to bring 30 Maori people to visit it. 
oh, hang on, I, I, I need to ask permission. I'll call you back. Well, she called me back about four hours later and she said, yes, it's all right. Yes, you can come, you know, when do you want to do it? So I said, Friday week. We're performing in Guildford that night. And Clandon Park is very close to the city of Guildford. So that's what we did. But she suggested that uh, myself and my colleague uh, got there uh, about half past nine uh, to get the key to the meeting house, because when it's not being used, it's always shut. She said, go inside and have a look. So we walked across this huge, great lawn that they've got there. And there's this little wooden house of the type that I'd never seen before and put the key in the door, opened it, went inside. Uh, and I was quite stunned by the carvings that were in there. There was no electricity at all, so we couldn't turn on any light. So we left the door open and there's a window as well that let some light in, you know. Um, and uh, we thought, all right, well, we'll, uh, we'll close the door behind us and we'll go and meet the coach. But on this particular day, as they got off the the, uh, the coach in their in their formal attire, they were very serious. Uh, I said, "Well, enemy is just across here. Let's let's go." So we crossed the grass, and we would have been about two hundred yards away from enemy. Uh, Emily encouraged us all to stand as a group, and then slowly walk behind her towards Hinemihi and then I was really shocked because she started to call to the building and then halfway across the lawn she stopped and she called again and as we grew near near it I could tell that quite a lot of the people the men and the women were crying I thought oh dear what have we done here you know to upset these folks you know and then the door opened. There was nobody in the building. I had closed it properly and I was quite shocked. In fact, I was a little bit frightened, I must admit, you know. But nobody else seemed to be afraid. So they all went inside the building. Now, I hadn't been asked to go inside with them. And I thought, well, this is a very private thing. So uh, I won't go in. Uh, so they all went in and they closed the door behind them, came out again about 20 minutes later and they were just coming out of the building. And I said to Emily, everything all right? She said, oh, yeah, everything's more than all right. It's fantastic. I said, but you're crying. She said, well, what you need to realise is that all of us in this group uh, can trace our ancestors to Hinamihi. And she said, by because this was the house in, in which people had sheltered during the Tarawera eruption, she said, by moving around inside and feeling the carvings, we could hear their screams, we could hear their pain, which made this house very, very special because everybody who sheltered inside it during the Tarawera eruption survived.
Waiata, performed by Te Kapa o Ngāti Tarawhai, composed by Uenuku Fehō. The words, Katoroake Naringaringa, Haruai i kāho nei, Kairoto nā koe i te hene pauri, Kairoto nā koe e kuie hene mihi e. My hands reach up to lightly touch the shipping container. Are you there in the dark? Are you in there? Kui Henemihi. The song is about the plight of Henemihi and a call for her people to rise up and return her home. And that's the role of the group Na Kohinga Fakairo or Henemihi. Hinemihi is largely about connection. Tātai whakapapa. Rangitihi Pene explains. Our ancestor Hinemi, for whom the carvings now reside in England, she descends from Anati Rangiti, main ancestor. She married a tuharangi man called Te Karere. Her, her people were living first at Motutaua on Rotukaki. Then, then they shift around to Tokiniho, other parts like Karikaria, which is right at uh, Lake Tarawera. And eventually arrived to, at that area at Lake Tarawera a American evangelicist, a guy called um, Seymour Spencer. And his vision for Tuarangi as a whole, and I speak Tuarangi, not Tarafa here, uh, was that we would become farmers and agriculturalists. Mm. And so he moved his um, his first church was on the main park, or Tawaro, which is on Lake, Lake Tarawera. He moved to a valley, which was previously uninhabited, called Te Wairua, beside the Te Wairua stream. And it sits between the Green Lake, Rotokaki, and Lake Tarawera. So he moved there and he sectioned off um, the area into um, fensible farms, little farms, and uh, he taught Tuharangi and Ngāti Hinemi to be you know, farmers. And so that was uh, the start of it, but a number of things happened, and the village was, Tawaira was abandoned at least twice. One was we had a falling out with our, our dear neighbours, Ngāti Rangiti, over the ownership of Rotomahana and the Pinkamai Terraces. We had a five-year war where we all went back to our war paths and abandoned Tawaira. Because that tourist aspect was ramping up. Uh, and then in the 1860s, you'll know that the land wars were happening, and even though we were um, not involved, people were crisscrossing our territory, and it became dangerous. And so once again, uh, Te Wairua 
was abandoned and everyone back, went back to their fortified paths for safety. But the golden era was from 1870 to 1886 for tourism. For tourism, I was going to say, it was like yeah. a hub. Yep, and so, you know, uh, you, could, you could trace the, the growth of tourism in New Zealand from that time and from Te Wairo. The two tribes involved, well, Ngāti Hinami was involved through uh, their chief, Aparo. And Aparo uh, built a uh, hotel for the iwi, and he named it initially the Cascade. You see, it's got their terraces. And then he gave up on that name and called it the Rotomahana Hotel. There was a second hotel called the Terraces Hotel, and that was on land that was actually owned by a pāke, but on land leased by Tuarangi. So you have Tuarangi. And initially Tuarangi and Ngāti Hinamihi were competing tourist companies. <laughs> In fact, it was so bad that they had to be mediated. And after the mediation occurred, um, and this was in um, this was in early 1880s. Now, um, they became one one tourist venture. And so, because of the extreme uh, 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 amounts of money that Ngāti Hinami and Tuarangi were earning, um, Aparo decided to erect the Farinui. Both for traditional reasons, you know, tangihanga and hui, and also as a concert venue at night um, for the tourists who are coming, you know, 30 or 40 a day, every day. Tēnā koutou. We'll hear more from Rangitihi Pene, Colin Tihi, Ruakiri Fihol, Alan Gallup and Jim Schuster in this series about Henemihi Tau Tawhito. Next week... Um, really excited that we are now at the stage where we're actually thinking of bringing her home. I was speaking with Mark Adams, who I've known for some time, when I said to him, hey Mark, has your Hinamihi suite of images in its entirety been exhibited? And he said no. Dr Kiri Ann Wikitera wrote her doctoral thesis, Māori Spaces in Foreign Places, Hinamihi Te Tafito, And Hamish Coney wrote the book, Hinamihi Te Hukinga, the return. They both feature in next week's episode. E kore e mimiti nga mihi kia tātou nei kai kōrero e tika ana mā te kōrero ka puta te whakamāramatanga. That's the show for the week. For photos and more information, head to rnz.co.nz slash tiahika. You can also download the podcast RNZ Tiahika wherever you access your podcasts. Kia noho pai, kia noho haumaru, tēnā tātou katoa.